You're listening to the Up In Your Business Podcast, episode 020. On this show, I talk with HR specialist Lance Richards about leading millennial employees, preparing for the future of work, and his book, Gen Now, Understanding the Multi-Generational Workforce and the Coming Leadership Deficit. You know what I've learned, Angus? You can't parent by Skype. Welcome to the Up In Your Business Podcast, building you to do business better. This show is about intention, transparency, and insights from business professionals sharing their personal business. Discover what they've learned the hard way so you don't have to. Empowering a new breed of self-aware leadership. Here's your host, Angus Nelson. Welcome to the Up In Your Business Podcast. If this is your first time listening, I am so grateful you took the time to listen. For all of you who have been listening, welcome back. So today, uh, we're going to be talking to a friend of mine um, that kind of came about as some inspiration on an article that I had read some time ago that I revisited from uh, theatlantic.com, and it was talking about leadership, and that's one of the things that this uh, show is about, and I'm, after interviewing the last uh, 19 or so interviews, I'm starting to kind of uh, center in on some of the actual leadership elements that I'd love to pull out to give you just the practical tools uh, to address where we're at, where we're going, and how to do your job uh, better, more effectively. So I was revisiting this article, and um, I can't remember the name of it. It's called, uh, Why Are American Colleges Obsessed with Leadership? And again, it's in the Atlantic. Uh, it came out a couple months ago. Um, gosh, even more so than that, I think 2014. Uh, but here's an interesting piece of it. They were talking about leadership in colleges specifically, and they were stating that some of the definitions of leadership were changing, whereas one of the old definitions might include something along these lines, uh, where it is not a sense of achieving um, it's like a, a level of authority, but rather making a positive, meaningful, and hopefully enduring difference in the world on some level. And this comes from a gentleman named Sternberg, and he's just kind of painting a different picture that today's leadership is not about authority, but it's making a difference. And he goes on to say that his assumption is that those worthy of admission into elite colleges are not simply good scholars or even good workers, but rather those who will initiate and those who will, who will be pioneers in their fields, uh, those who will implicitly manage those who are not in leadership. And so there's something kind of interesting about all of this is that leadership is not something that people are just born with, obviously, uh, but rather it's something a little bit deeper than just scholastic expertise or knowing skills. And we talk about this a little bit um, in our interview today. And uh, my friend that I want to introduce you to, he's a global workforce futurist and a consultant. He's leveraging more than 25 plus years years of a career in global human resources and workforce strategy. 
He's a sought-after speaker. He's presenting at conferences and corporate events worldwide, including everything from General Motors and Nissan, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Halliburton, Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, and many, many more. He's a former VP of Innovation at Kelly Services, and now he serves as the Director of Human Resources and Risk Management at the town of Avon, Colorado, overlooking the beautiful Beaver Creek Ski Resort. Today, we're talking with Lance J. Richards. Let's jump into that interview. Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm here with Lance Richards. Lance, welcome. Hi, how are you? I guess it's great to see you again. Oh, well, thank you. It's great to see you too. I am really excited to talk to you. Now, Lance and I go back a little bit. We were involved in the same organization, and at the time, he was with Kelly Services. In your intro, you heard a little background to him, but maybe you could add a little color to it. How did you get into the whole premise of HR? Well, I've been, gosh, I've been in HR literally since I was 17 years old. I mean, I, uh, I got into HR working with Six Flags Corporation, um, which is about the only place you can go to get into HR at 17, and found out I loved it. So um, I have followed through with that, and starting in, uh, wow, around the early 90s, I started doing international HR, and that has taken me to uh, expatriate work in China, in Thailand, in Singapore, and I've traveled more places than I care to admit. And um, that got me into Kelly as their head of international HR, then I wound up as their uh, general manager for the global HR consulting business. And ultimately, when you and I first ran across each other, I was VP of innovation. Nice. Oh, by the way, my wife says hi. I said I was oh. talking to you today. And she's like, oh. hey, I know him. I know him. Tell her hi. Absolutely. <laughs> for sure. So when you got into um, Kelly, you know, obviously it's a, a global brand. It's doing yes. big things. Um, and you came from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and now where do they take you up to Michigan? Um, so how did you take, uh, your skills from learning from a youngster going to a big brand and getting a global perspective? Uh, I just want to kind of get up in your business a little bit. Was that intimidating at all when you first started? You know, the, 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 the first time I was intimidated was when I was, when I went from being on a purely domestic U S basis to being asked by, I was at British telecom at the time in Atlanta and the VP of HR pulls me in and says, I need you to go to Singapore and hire us uh, uh, one of these. And I had to go back and say, Singapore, where's that? And, <laughs> you know, next, you know, then a week later, I'm on a plane heading that way. And I'm like, holy shamoly, now what do I do? And so, yeah, that was absolutely intimidating. But I also stopped and said, you know, I've got the core HR skills. Um, I can do this. And yeah. there are going to be differences based on culture and business practices. But the net goal is the same. I need to hire the best possible person. Mm -hmm. And so I took that approach and realized that my uh, my life now is going to be revolving around me constantly learning. Mm -hmm. And as long as I've been able to do that, that's what's that's what's moved me along has been the ability to adapt and learn. And that's fantastic. Actually, I want to kind of dive into that uh, here in a little bit. But that's been a common theme from a number of people that I've been interviewing is the fact that being a self learner is a primary quotient to becoming successful in your career. Well, and, and you know, especially, you know, there are there are fields where you can't move from industry to industry. HR, fortunately, is one of those. So I can go from themed amusement parks to telecommunications, uh, I was at Verizon, um, based in China for a while, and then at their corporate headquarters as well. Um, 
then I went into Kelly Services, which is in the human resources solutions business, and now I'm working in a small municipality. And the nice thing is that the HR piece has stood me well all along, but I have had to stop and learn new industries. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. I'm learning a new industry right now. Wow. And let's kind of dive into this a little bit. You wrote a book called uh, Gen Now that yes. kind of speaks to not just uh, human resources on a, like you know, tit for tat, dotted I, or cross T. You're getting into like kind of like psychology or approach and, and giving some tactics of the understanding of this generation. Can you maybe share what was the premise to that book and, and the heart behind it? Yes, yes. No, I, uh, and, and I have a co-author. I didn't write it by myself. I have a co-author, Jason Morga. And he and I had been reading a lot of articles and stuff and talking. Um, and sometimes it was just, you know, over a mug of coffee about stuff we'd read. Um, he and I both have uh, sixth grade daughters. And so we had that as a starting point. We, the more we looked and read what was out there, we realized a lot of this wasn't helpful in understanding what's going on. It was, matter of fact, in many cases, it was accusatory towards an entire generation that we need. Mm-hmm. And that's not helpful for business because we need them, the millennials, for example, far more than they need us. Mm-hmm. And that's what prompted us to start this. And we we uh, the book you've got now, Gen Now, it was actually the third, the third iteration, I guess I would call it, of a lot of reading and research that Jason and I did, until we got it to the point where it was, um, you know, published by Amazon, and that was all built around not the classic HR do this, don't do that, but around hey, here's some things you need to think about, here's some things that we know that run contrary to magazine covers that say slacker or me, me, me generation. Yeah. In fact, you, in your book, I'm, I'm just opening it uh, right now to a, a segment there. I bookmarked and in this bookmark that I made here, you comment on, um, some of the five pet peeves that leaders have of this generation. And so one of those five is you have no respect for established procedures and other people's time. How does that yeah. translate? That's a perception, and it's it's a very bad perception. Here, you, you got to put on your millennial hat to understand this. So, if I take your average gray-haired senior vice president at Company X, um, in order for anybody to see the senior vice president, you've got to get it blessed by your manager, your director, your vice president, and then you got to get through the SVP's executive assistant. And that, of course, is outrageously stupid. Um, because the millennial knows when I ask him a question, um, they know, well, I now have accountability to go and get that answer. And so what happens is I go and ask a millennial, I said, you know, hey, I need to know what's the best, what's the best slide clicker for PowerPoint. And the millennial says, okay, I can sit down and spend eight hours on the computer researching this and digging around. Or I know the senior vice president down the hall has been doing this and using slide clickers for the last 20 years. He'll know immediately. So the millennial set takes ownership of the problem, walks down the hall, taps on the SVP's door, and says, hey, real quick question, what's the best slide clicker? And the SVP is like, who are you, and how did you get past my executive assistant? <laughs> right, right. And, and, and he, he stammers out an answer and says, go get this one. And then the person leaves. And a day later, that, that millennial's manager comes in and says, you can't talk to the senior vice president. Nobody talks to the senior vice president. Yeah. And and that's where we get this all mixed up. 
The millennial has huge respect for the senior vice president, understands the value of his or her time, but they also understand wasting resources when you can get an answer quickly and effectively is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so they've taken ownership, and the senior vice president looks at it as, you know, you, you don't respect me, and the millennial looks at it that I have a tremendous resource in this company. If I don't use it, I'm wasting the company's resources. Right. So if you put on your millennial hat, that becomes very logical. But there is tremendous respect and understanding. Hmm. But this, the gray-haired guys don't always see it that way. So here's, here's another one. Um, you're an arrogant know-it-all and a show-off, too. That's what we think about this generation. And people will, because, you know, the, the, the perception is the millennials come in with this entitlement mentality. Well, part of that, frankly, is they walk out of college with six figures in debt. And we've been telling them, you've got to have this college education. It's critical. You need to have this or else, or else you'll wind up homeless or something. And, of course, things have changed. That's not quite true all the time. Uh, and secondly, the perception when they come in and they start looking for things like, why isn't there Wi-Fi in the corporate cafeteria? Well, to them, that's a logical thing because what have they been raised with for the last four years in college? Wi-Fi in the dorm, Wi-Fi in the dining hall, Wi-Fi in the the Starbucks and in the cafeteria, the classroom buildings. They're expecting that and you don't have it. It's not an entitlement. It's kind of a sense of wonderment sometimes. What are you guys doing? Right. (laughs) And that that becomes a challenge. So it's not so much an entitlement mentality as it is an expectation set. And frankly... We need to understand those because we, and, and, and we talked about the leadership deficit, we've got a problem coming and we we got to get these millennials on board in our companies and hold on to them. Mm-hmm. And if you and I don't provide what they're looking for, off they go to another company. So let's talk about that. What is it that they're looking for? You know, like the assumption, again, going with all the stereotypes, like, oh, they just need, you know, lots of encouragement, lots of hand-holding, blah, blah, blah. And they're just, you know, mamby-pamby, this or that. It's like always negative. What's the spin on that? Well, here's what it is. It's not so much that they're expecting the hand-holding, but let's put it in perspective of how they live their lives, okay? So if I'll, I'll go take Joe Millennial. Joe goes out with his friends on a Friday afternoon and has pizza. He, while they're sitting there um, having pizza, he pulls out his iPhone and he sits here and punches in onto Facebook, I like pizza. And then they finish up dinner, pay the check out in the parking lot and say goodbye to everybody. He gets in his car and he looks at Facebook again. And his little comment, I like pizza, has generated 120 likes Mm -hmm. in a matter of minutes for something absolutely mundane. So then this same Joe Millennial comes into your office on Monday and how often do you or most corporations give them a performance appraisal or any feedback at all? Once a year. Do you Mm -hmm. see the disconnect? Yeah. We've got a generation that is used to immediate feedback, whether it's on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, or whatever the tool du jour is, it involves immediate feedback from your peers and those around you. And they could be on the other side of the planet. But we as companies, we're not providing that. And this is where it's going to get difficult. Um, But here's one of my mantras as an HR guy. I have this outrageous expectation that managers will manage. And that requires the managers to understand the people that they're working with. 
Because what what I need to manage you, Angus, is very different than what I need to manage the person in the office next to you. Mm-hmm. And if I, as a manager, don't know what those things are, don't know how to do that, I'm, I'm going to lose you because you will happily head off down the street to someplace where you will get that. Yeah. And one of the things, especially in this day and age, is, you know, the time of, quote unquote, commitment at a company, this next generation, what are the time frames? Well, commitment? What's up with that? Why right. You, what, you know, this, this, isn't, this isn't, you know, the company that your dad and my dad worked for, um, you know, the 32 years, my, my dad was 32 years with Lockheed Martin. So if I got a millennial today, they'd look at my dad's resume and they'd quickly say, oh, that's too bad. He only worked for one company. Of course, my dad would look at their resume and say, ah, job hopper. <laughs> Different perspectives. But you have to keep in mind, for the millennials, they look at a career. They, they, they understand, and many of them were kids during the 2000, um, 2000 2001 dot-com crash. They sat around the kitchen table, and they saw that their parents' jobs were disposable. Mm-hmm. Okay? So now they finish high school, they finish college, maybe even a master's degree, and they come to work with a level of what I would argue is healthy cynicism about jobs, the workplace, and companies. We know from statistics, we know from a lot of research, millennials will begin looking for another job at about the 2.4 year mark. So after 2.4 years, not necessarily that they're looking to leave their current company, but they start looking at another job. So my obligation as a manager then is at about two years to recognize this, this fact, this hard research, and go, hey, Angus, you know, you've been here for two years in job A. You're doing a great job. I want to make sure that you're still challenged, though. Would you be interested in considering job B over here? And it might be an adjacent job. It might be in a different department. I don't know. But that opportunity is when you would come back, typically, as we know with the millennials, and say, oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about it. And they're not necessarily looking for a career ladder either. They're not expecting, in most cases, they're not expecting to be able to go from entry-level associate to senior vice president. And the opportunity to learn something new may fit in more with their lifestyle and their view of work-life blending than something a promotion might do to them. So if you're successful at managing, if I'm successful at managing Angus, then after about two years, I moved you into another job that you think is cool. And another two years go by and I come back and visit with you. And all of a sudden, you've been with my company for 10 years and you don't know how that happened. Yeah. But it happened because I realized that you've got a lot of potential with my company. I don't want to let you go. And I've got to keep you intellectually challenged. Um, you know, The word you might use could be entertained. But I've got to keep you thinking ahead and interested in what you're doing. Because if you're bored or you think you're not moving ahead or you're not learning, you're out of here. And I know that. And there's so many leaders that don't even recognize or managers that don't recognize the value of the investment you make. It's in your best interest to keep that person around. Everything they've learned, everything they've trained, they already know the systems, they already know the relationships. How can you keep them motivated? How can you keep them stimulated so they don't go somewhere else? It's a simple dollar issue. You know, I spend X dollars in um, my time as a manager and in what other, whatever other development I do over the first two years or so that you're with me. Huge amount of money. 
well, frankly, I'm running a business. I need to amortize that. Yeah. And so that means for me to recover that first two years or so of work, I really need to keep you around for at least six years. Otherwise, you're taking all my investment in training you and getting re- getting you ready to be a productive employee, and I watch watch it hand out the door. Mm-hmm. Go to company X, who then harvests my investment. Yeah. That's bad. That's bad business. It's terrible business. So let me. It's, it's a paradox because I also want to paint the other picture of your research, and that is the fact that with the future of work. Uh, more and more companies are less inclined to hire full-time employees when they can expand and contract with on-demand employees. Yes. Yes. So let's talk about the other side of this equation and what that looks like in terms of HR transitioning from, um, say, uh, acquisition and now moves to talent management. Yes. You know, it's here's what it is: is we used to be focused on ownership of talent. And that's not what we need now. We need access to talent, okay? And that's going to take different shapes. You know, I've got a, I've got a job here, and, and Angus, you're going to be in this job. And, and frankly, the busy period for you uh, for this role is from October 1st through January the 31st. Um, the rest of the year, yeah, there's things for you to do, but you're not, you're not really occupied fully. And for me, that's a bad investment. What I need to do is I need to be able to access Angus from October 1st to January 31st, and then January 31st, off you go. And you, owning your career and owning the knowledge that you have, you now have somebody else that you start working with starting February 1st. And you may work with that company for three months or so. And then you may take a month off and go hiking in uh, you know wherever or whatever it is you're doing. And then you come back and show up at my place October 1st because well, you, I have stayed in touch with you. So it's a matter of, of under, first of all, understand that not everybody that works for your company needs to be a 40-hour-a-week FTE. We don't, we don't have to do that. There's no law that says everybody has to be that. Um, I need to become, as an employer, I need to become more flexible and start looking at jobs in terms of, do I really need this person year-round, or do I just need access to this person? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the issues around this job? Is it even a five-day-a-week job? Maybe it's three days a week. Maybe you're a stay-at-home dad and your wife does X, and you only want to work or only can work three days a week. Okay? Can I get that work done? Maybe maybe you're knocking out 12-hour days. Maybe it's three, three days a week, but you're working 36 hours. That could solve my issues. Mm-hmm. So we've got to start thinking differently about it. We also have to start getting out of this... Um, you must be here thing. I need you sitting in front of me. I mean, you and I are on a Skype thing. I'm in Colorado. You're in Tennessee. Uh, you know, I don't need to have you physically sitting here with me every day all the time. Now, that said, there are still jobs at two ends of the bell curve um, that do require FaceTime, do require to physically be there. If you're a housekeeper at a Marriott, I can't. you can't email this in. <laughs> Uh, you got to be right. Um, if I go to uh, if I go to a local hospital to get my annual cholesterol check, the lady that's doing the blood draw, she can't do that by Skype. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I've got one extreme where there's always going to be jobs that yes, they got to be there and they're going to have to put in the. Fa- At the other end, I got people like CEOs mm-hmm. that need to be in front of somebody seven days a week, not even five. Now, are they on a plane? Are they in the office? Are they on Skype? Yes, because they're working fifteen hours a day. But again, 
in between there, I think I as a company have an obligation to look at my workers, at the, the work that's being done, and say, must everybody be here? Do I need all this square footage? Hmm. You know, uh, the, 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 the CEO of Accenture does not have an office. He's got, um, he, has a, uh, he has a conference room that he has priority over, um, but he works out of a cubicle wherever he goes. Hmm. You know, Deloitte has the same thing. Most of the Deloitte offices now are hotel offices. You go onto your, they have, a, they have an app for their iPhone, and you go on in the morning and say, oh, I woke up in Raleigh-Durham this morning. Uh, let me get me a, myself a desk. Click, 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 click. And when they show up, they're on a little uh, digital display. Is their name on a sign on a cubicle, and they're ready to go yeah. wherever they are in the world. And so as companies start to deploy, uh, say, remote employees for some of those roles, now they have that excess space, so now they can get rid of that overhead. Yes. Or they can monetize it and now rent it out to someone else. We see a lot of that as well. And, mm -hmm. and again, it's, it's a matter of just realizing and accepting that this is changing. We, mm -hmm. And the other piece that's driving it is we may not be able to get the workers, the talent that we need, to move. And if you can't move the worker, you may have to move the work. Mm -hmm. Our millennials, going back to the millennials, we know from research our millennials um, are not real keen on a domestic U.S. relocation. Now, they will happily move overseas. We know mm -hmm. that. They would love that. But on a U.S. basis, not so much. Well, do I need to move them? And don't mm -hmm. forget, relocations can be painfully expensive for a yeah. company. Especially if you're only investing in them for two years. Uh, yeah, you better <laughs> Yeah, you better amortize your uh, – you better keep them and amortize that money. I've been looking for that Caribbean role. Uh, <laughs> so. it's, it's back to, you know, for a lot of jobs. Say, it, you know, depending on the role, you know, you could be remote. Now, I may need to have you – come into corporate headquarters four times a year, six times a year for three or four days of work. Okay, that's reasonable. But in the meantime, you can live, leave me out here in Vail. And as long as I'm getting my work done and I'm Skyping with you and I'm working with a team, it really doesn't matter where I am, does it? Not at all. In fact, uh, Buffer, um, I think it's bufferapp.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Buffer, their entire team is remote. There's, they don't own a building. They don't own an office. Um, however, they convene somewhere on the globe twice a year and everybody flies into some remote place like in Costa Rica or something crazy like that. Okay. See, and, and, and they're getting them work done. Now, yeah. again, there are places where that can't work and mm -hmm. there are jobs where that can't work, but think of how much money they're saving by not having a physical shingle out in a building. Mm -hmm. That's, that's huge money and that can drop directly into salaries, into research and development uh, it could be, uh, you know, debt service. It could be returned to shareholders, whatever you want to do with it. Right, right. So let's talk about um, from that perspective. Um, if you are, um, let's say, Gen Y, you're a millennial, um, how much emphasis do you put on knowing things generally versus becoming a specialist? There's a, there's a T model out there that says that I need people um, that are generalists for to an extent on a broad range of things and then with a deep specialization in one or two areas. And if I've got a team, I want to make sure that the key areas, I've got at least somebody who has that vertical depth mm -hmm. and that everybody has got a commonality at the top. And if I can do that, that's what I need. Now, the challenge, of course, is when you're right out of school, you're neither a generalist up here nor do you have the depth. But as you go through your career, 
you'll begin to assume that stuff. And your generalist piece will get thicker and thicker. And hopefully you pick up one or two areas mm-hmm. that you've got ex- specific depth and expertise in. So um, this is completely off the, the track of where I want to continue this conversation, but you, you spark something. So someone going to college, are you a pro, like, um, you know, graduate from college? Obviously, we know most of us aren't doing what we set out to do with our major. Are you a proponent of just getting a general study or just say a business degree and then let life carry you and it's serendipity? Or are you one now in this day and age and the price and cost of school that it's not even as much of a priority as much as just continuing your learning on your own? Well, one of the challenges is we, um, and and this is a topic for a different discussion, we've got some issues in our K-16 educational infrastructure and how it relates to and interfaces with our business infrastructure. Um, Or rather, there is no relationship. Hmm. Uh, We as business do not tell, do not go and talk to the K-16 infrastructure about what we need, and they certainly could care less what we think we need. Um, So there's a a broken piece there. Uh, In a perfect world, I will be the first one to tell you that your average 18-year-old heading off to college um, hasn't a clue what they want to do when they grow up. Some of them might. Um, some of them are still trying to figure out, you know, how do I get from uh, part, point A on campus to point B to class on time? Well, they better get that right before they show up in my office. Mm-hmm. But the the issue here is from a college perspective, I've always believed college is there to teach you to think. Um, the degree you walk out with, frankly, is secondary. Um, if I can send you off to school for four years and you learn to think and process and research and most importantly, you learn to play well with others. Mm. Then you're in good shape. I see, you know, I see resumes all the time. You know, you, if you bring me a resume, and you've walked out of college, and you've got a 4.0 grade point average, um, and you spent four years hunkered down in the library, and you've done nothing, nothing else except study, but you got that 4.0, versus a resume of someone with a 3.5 or a 3.3, and they've been editor of this, president of that, active with this, and they've demonstrated leadership working well with others, working with teams, delivering on projects. That's the person I want to hire. Absolutely. I know it's very nice, but uh, if you don't play well with others, if you can't communicate, if you can't work in teams, um, no, you, you've lost, you're lost already. You know, related to that, we were talking before uh, we started recording, and I mentioned to you that article in Atlantic. Um, yeah. And this is an emphasis coming out of some of our higher learning that they are changing their priority of leadership and redefining really of what leadership is instead of someone who's just about having authority or just having um, management over others or power. Um, some of those things that we've always known leadership to be in, you know, old school. Now it's more of these soft skills. So here's, here's how they define on their admissions website. It says maturity, character, leadership, self-confidence, warmth of personality, sense of humor, energy, concern for others, and grace under pressure. How much of that can you learn from a textbook? None. You cannot, I cannot train any of that. You have to develop that. And that, some of those attributes start at the age of the kids walking, Mm. okay? And they get that from their parents, nowhere else. And Mm. school becomes an issue of, yeah, you got to learn your 12 by 12 multiplication tables. Got to knock that out in the fifth grade. 
Um, you need to have a good understanding of American civics and law by the time you're out of 12th grade. But all the stuff you just listed, no, there's not a training class in the world. That is developed over the course of the first 22, 25 years of your life. If it's not there, it ain't going to get there. Hmm. So, and, and by the way, those behaviors there, um, I will argue, are more critical than the skill sets you bring in. If I hire you to assemble um, iPhone cases for me, okay, I can teach you how to do that. I cannot bring you into my company and do any of those other things. You've got to bring those with you. If you don't have those, you will not have a chance to assemble iPhone cases. I'm not going to hire you. So you have to build your own um, skill set uh, that you bring in. Um, part of that can be measured. Part of that can't. Um, well, it's not I, just skills. I, I differentiate skills and behaviors. Hmm. Some of the things you were, just look, you were just talking about are behaviors or competencies. The skill set is how do you use a slide clicker with PowerPoint? Um, how do you assemble an iPhone case? Those are skill sets. Yeah. But you're talking about behaviors and competencies. Yeah. That's the piece that's important. Mm. So with that comes, um, you have to have the experience. You probably have to have just simply a lot of life under your belt and be exposed to challenges, be exposed to hardship or vulnerability or things of that nature. Would that but early be the end of that? Early in their career, though, they may not have had that. And so what I'm looking for is, do you demonstrate to me, do, does it look to me like you've got the capability to develop that? Because mm. right? a 22-year-old doesn't have as much life experience, as you said, um, as you or I do. Okay, you know that's that's why you and I got a couple of gray hairs here and there. Is, Speak is, for yourself. I'm bald. Oh, oh well, it's just on the beard. in my beard. In my beard. Yeah, yeah. it it's not it's it's something we've acquired over years and years. I can't and and I can't take a thumb drive and download it from your brain and give it to a 22 year old. If we had that capability, life would be a lot simpler. We're not there yet. Yeah. So now that you're um, a young person, you're developing these skills, you've got some specialization, some generalization, but if you're going to be someone who's a contract employee, you're kind of your own company, right? You're managing your own success, your own, your own reputation, own your own branding. Yes. Yes. And, and the challenge there is that you've got to constantly be aware of that. And you have to market yourself. You know, you've got to think proactively about that because your next, you know, you may not know where your next gig is going to come from. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, the phone rings and there's your next gig and you weren't even expecting it. Yeah. So that becomes the challenge of, of that. And, and every, everything you do, you have to remember, you know, the internet never, ever forgets. Mm. That's something people need to start thinking about when they hit college. Yeah. The, uh, when I get when I get somebody's email address and it's you know AngusLovesBeer at gmail dot com, um, I kind of look and I'll I'll tell them I say you need to get a new email address. Sorry, that was hilarious when you were in college. Um, not so much now. <laughs> right. Right. Um, one of my friends actually has his name RockTheWorld dot com, which is really funny. Um, <laughs> So with the uh, taking responsibility for your own career and building your personal brand, learning those soft skills, developing your own probably EQ, the emotional quotient, 
um, and then learning how to manage yourself and others. That would probably be a great formula for success. Would you agree? Or is there anything you'd add to that? Well, the, the piece, keep in mind that in, in this new, strange new world of work where we've got transportable people and transportable skills, I am not prepared, I as an employer, am not prepared to bring you in to do job X from October 1st to January 31st unless you are the very best at what you do, okay? Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to pay top dollar because I am only using you four months of the year. But you're not going to come and want to work for me unless the role and the opportunity I'm presenting to you is going to continue to sharpen your skills. Mm -hmm. So this becomes a very nice, very symbiotic relationship. I don't need you unless you're the very best, and you have no intention of working for me unless I will continue to help you be the very best at what you're doing. Hmm. And if the role that I've got is something that bores you or doesn't continue to refine your skill sets, you're not going to come to work for me. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. So, okay, I want to transition this a little bit to you yourself. So you were working big corporate um, yeah. for years, and then yes. just recently you transitioned – uh, to now you're working for a city uh, government in a different role. Well, I mean, yeah. still HR, but a different role. How did that come about? And then what have you had to face yourself in your own personal learning and journey uh, to contend with that? It's been, it, it's been a, it's been a real ride and I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely enjoying it. My, uh, my most recent core HR head of HR role was, was I was at Kelly and I was head of international HR, 4,000 employees scattered across 36 countries. Um, I was on the road. Um, well, Delta loved me and Marriott loved me. I'm not so sure about my wife and daughter. Right. Okay. Um, but it was, you know, I was knocking out 150,000 miles a year. Hmm. And now I am here in uh, beautiful Avon, Colorado. Uh, the town of Avon employs around 100 full-time people, around 200 total. And, um, and they're all right here within a uh, three-mile radius of everything. Um, I've got skis in my office. My window overlooks Beaver Creek. And, uh, and so I've had to adapt not only to learning a new industry, you know, government is very different than corporate, mm -hmm. but also to a much smaller little piece of, of HR. And after doing this, after being in HR for, well, over 30 years, um, I'm actually enjoying this. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I am home for dinner every night. Um, I get to go when my daughter, my daughter's here as a ski racer over at uh, ski club Vale. I get to go over and see races on Saturdays. I don't miss PTA meetings. I don't miss conferences with teachers. I don't miss her races. I'm on a first name basis with her teachers as well as her coaches. And, um, that's something I can't do if I'm flying around 150,000 miles a year. Uh, yeah. and so for, for me, the first, the first consideration was was being here, being being home, and being you know. You know, what I learned Angus, you can't parent by Skype, mm. right? Maybe that'll be the n name of my next book. You can't parent by Skype, and I finally came to a point with the amount of travel that I was doing, and it was immensely rewarding. Loved what I was doing, mm -hmm. but I got to the point where I realized that this, you know, I only have one kiss at the pig, uh, to use a southern phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I only have one kiss at the pig to get this parenting thing right. Yeah. And as you know, you got two. Um, the, the three, actually. Three, that's right. Yeah. That's right, three. Mm -hmm. And as you know, the instruction manual that they give you at the hospital is a little thin. <laughs> um, Not the truth. So, so my, my view is my, my, I came first 
out here to be um, because of Brianna skiing. We've done all these corporate reloads, and this is a reload for our family. Mm-hmm. And um, and then once we got out here, I was commuting because I was still on the lecture circuit doing all that. And then that's when this position came open, and I said, oh, that looks interesting. I should chat with these folks. Yeah. And next thing you know, I'm here, and I'm still able to do a couple of talks here and there. So that's cool. I'm yeah. off to Toronto next week for two days. That's superb. And so on one hand, it's kind of really simplified life for sure, right? Yes. Um, yes. The other hand is, you know, you're you're slipping into um, the holster and seeing if you still got the guns. Yeah. Um, so what was that like well, going you know, back I, into that role? I'm in, a, I'm in a CHRO role. I report mm-hmm. directly to the chief executive of the town um, and she reports to, the, to an elected town council. The difference between that and corporate America is that when the board here meets, or if I have to speak to the board, it's carried live on television. Um, it's reported in the Vail Daily the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been interesting. Um, you know, I've been in, uh, I was I was running the HR consulting practice for Kelly for three years. I was on the CEO staff for two years. That was great experience. Uh, but I'm back now. I've got a small HR team and I get calls morning, noon, and night with uh, different employee relations issues. And that's what I'm here to help with. Right. So I, it's, it's a little slower than what I was doing when I was at, uh, when I was over at, uh, Kelly doing international, the mm-hmm. phone doesn't ring at two in the morning anymore. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's good. Thumbs up. Um, yeah. But it's still, you know, from an HR perspective, it's just as rewarding and it requires just as much thought. You know, if I was running 4,000 employees, I've got, you know, 30 HR managers scattered around the world that are supporting that and supporting me here. You know, it's me. You know, an employee is injured, I get the phone call. Uh, You know, we have to, somebody has to be terminated, I'm in the meeting myself. So, Mm -hmm. so I'm back, I'm back in the saddle as it were. Yeah. And I also love the fact that, you know, it's, it's amazing as we do mature, that priorities do change. And, you know, whereas when we're young, we want to just get the big title with the big company and we want to be the big shot. And then as we get older, we're like, yeah, no, that's. There's better ways to live life. I've done the, you know, my, my record uh, year was 175 nights in hotels <sighs> in one year. And, you know, yeah, nice hotels and uh, enjoy the free vacations on points and everything. And now I'm in my own home, uh, wake up in the morning, take the dogs out and uh, drive my daughter to school, perhaps, or whatever. Uh, it, it's yeah, it's a lot slower, mm-hmm. um, but but I've I've done that and I know what I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I've accomplished a great deal, and I'm comfortable in my own skin. That's awesome. So uh, my last question for you, and this is uh, getting up in your business. So for you, um, what has been one of your biggest um, professional failures, and how did you contend with it? I had a professional failure, and this has been a couple of years back when I was uh, we were living in uh, Northern Virginia, and I had a situation. I was director of global human resources for a very very large well known company, um, and I and I'm not giving you the company name because the individual may be watching your your podcast. Okay, yeah. um, and we had uh, we were acquired and uh, sent in a new management team, and so I had uh, had to reassign some of the generalists that are working for me. And I assigned one of the generalists, one of the new executives that had come in. And a few weeks later, that executive had come to me and complained and said, yeah, no, this, this guy's too junior. He's not, 
he's not the right person. I want somebody more experienced to support me. And my mistake, my failure there was I didn't fix the problem. I tried to solve it. Hmm. And I did that by coaching the generalist. The generalist is a young guy, a couple of years out of school, very, very bright. As a matter of fact, he's now a VP of HR at a small company in Northern Virginia doing very well. But I tried coaching and I tried sharing with him, here's some things you ought to think about. Here's some ways of approaching this this uh, senior executive. And I also went back to the senior executive and was trying to work with him and help him understand, you know, I'm working very closely with this guy. Um, I'm helping him to be better, more effective at supporting you and being a good HR guy. Um, and it finally got to the point where the, um, the senior executive went to the chief administrative officer, my boss, and said, I want this guy fired. Hmm. Um, I wound up having to fire the HR guy that I was trying to coach and mentor through this issue. And I take probably 75% of the blame for that. I should have, in hindsight, I should have thought more, talked more with the senior executive and realized that he'd already dug in his heels. Um, and I should have just made the changes in where and how we were supporting him rather than trying to coach my younger guy and the senior executive. Um, because I made that mistake, it cost this young man his job. Mm. Um, that is the one that still resonates with me because I learned there that you're not always going to be able to solve things. Sometimes you just have to fix them. I could have saved that young man's job if I had acted more quickly instead of trying to coach everybody through it and just fixed it. Mm. Um, that was a, that, that one hurt because I, I took home that it was, and, and yeah, that was, I was the lion's share of the fault for that guy being fired. Mm. And what I love about you is, um, You've probably worked, knowing what I know about you, you've worked uh, the rest of your career making sure that kind of mistake hasn't happened since. Never happened since. I have, I've had to move people around, and I've adjusted people, and I've done so on the fly, um, but I've not had to fire anybody because of something that I did stupid. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and your um, expertise in sharing uh, what you shared today because um, I think all of us need to prepare ourselves for the future. It's changing. It's dynamic. It's definitely yes. not static. Yes. And, um, and all of us need to be conscious of this as we address not only our own leadership but our own careers as well. So if people want to get a hold of you, uh, how can they go about doing that, Lance? Best, best way of catching me is going to be on my email or on Twitter. My email is LJ richards at outlook.com and my twitter handle is at lance j richards fantastic well thanks lance i appreciate you okay great Well, super grateful for Lance uh, coming to join us today. I hope you got some information out of that regarding how to lead millennials. And if you're listening, you happen to be a millennial, hopefully that helps you a little bit too in the facet of how to manage uh, yourself within uh, the companies that you serve. I want to um, also offer you another tool uh, that can help you. Um, I just uh, created an ebook on my website at angusnelson.com regarding networking. And for so many people, networking can be intimidating. It can be scary. It can be messy. It can be yucky, schmoozy, and sometimes just annoying. 
Um, I'm trying to make it that simple for you. I created this little ebook. It's only, uh, I don't know, eight or nine pages long. It's pretty brief and it's broken up into giving you practical tips on how to network in a fashion that you bring value and authenticity to the table. Uh, you can simply go to AngusNelson.com. You can get the free download there. Um, other than that, I want to also invite you to go to uh, iTunes and leave a review. As you leave more reviews um, and uh, spread the word about this show, um, our size grows. And I'm trying to uh, impact as many people as possible in order to help them to be their most effective selves. So I'd really appreciate your uh, help in doing so. Uh, be honest on the um, uh you know, what you think about the show on the review. I'm, I'm not here to try and trumpet my own horn and say, hey, Angus is amazing. Uh, I just want you to be real because I try to be real. I just try to be myself. In fact, I'm slightly embarrassed at just with that little antic I just pulled off just now. Um, but beyond that, I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to a show today. There is much more to come uh, in addition on the website. You'll be seeing a couple of changes here coming very shortly as I start to deploy uh, more tools and resources to help you in your leadership uh, and how to engage uh, those around you, how to lead effectively, and again, how to be your most effective self. Have a great day. I really appreciate you and go forth and be amazing. Thanks for listening to the Up In Your Business podcast with Angus Nelson. Find more at upinyourbusiness.co. Remember, that's .co, not com. Oh, oh, oh.